right, how's everybody doing today? Do you know, do you know what these are? Can you guys tell what they are from the back? What are these? What are they? Easter eggs, yes. In two weeks, in two weeks, we are celebrating, what are we celebrating? Easter, yeah, April 17th, okay? We have two services, one at 9 and the other one at 9.30 and the other one at 11. Kids love to go after these. And I don't know if you know the, the tradition or the kind of the, the story about the Easter egg hunting and all of that. But hundreds of years ago, uh, there was an ancient practice that was adopted by the Orthodox Church. And what they would do is they would take some eggs, real eggs, and they would paint them. And they would decorate them, and basically they would do this as a symbol of new life. And they represented um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what I have done this morning is I've actually hidden three eggs in the room. Three eggs in the room. One with a $20 bill. Another one with a... And you guys stop looking. Don't, don't be looking right now. <laughs> another one with a $50 bill. And then another one with a $100 bill. All right? And then there was one left over from the previous service. You guys picked the right service today. Okay? And I'm going to give you, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. We're going to have fun in church. Hey, most churches are asking you for money today. All right? We're, we're giving you money. All right? A little different. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you... And I know the service is a little bit fuller than the first one, but I'm going to give you 27 seconds. The media team is going to play some music here in a second. 27 seconds, exactly. Don't look. Don't look. You're already looking. Come on. <laughs> 27 seconds to find four of, the, four of the eggs, okay? So if you find one and you get it to me, you can keep the cash, all right? But you got to get it to me, all right? So don't even open it. Just bring it this way, all right? Everybody ready? All right. Ready, set, go. 27 seconds. Four eggs. One with 50. Another one with 100. Oh, we got one right here. We got one right here. Keep going. Keep going. We got 15 seconds left. Bring it this way. That's it. I mean, you guys are not looking hard enough. Oh, we got a second one. Ten seconds. Ten seconds. Bring it this way. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, we're done. We're done. All right, let me see what you guys have. So we have Harold over here, and you got a $20 bill. You guys give it up for Harold. Whoop, whoop. And then, what do we have right here? Anybody looking? We have a $50 bill. Awesome, thank you. All right, you guys may be seated. You guys may be seated. All right, we're going to have fun in church. Oh, we have one. Time is up. Should we take it or should we not? Should I keep it? $100. There you go. Thank you so much. Hey, I want to I wanna thank... Um, Mike Tuttle for donating that money. Um, we are, in a couple of weeks, you'll get one of these. Um, if you have kids, man, they love, to, uh, they love to go to his ranch. We did the Fall Fest at his place, and so I hope that you guys take advantage of that. You know, the reason why I wanted to begin with that is because you could have you reacted 
As I was thinking about how you were going to react, you could react it in one of three ways. Uh, three possibilities. Uh, the first one that you could have, it could have been um, what I call apathy, right? Like you don't care about a stupid little game. You don't care about free money. Um, and I honestly didn't know if you were going to be like, no, this is not, we can't do, can't hand out money in church. Are you kidding me? Like, no. Um, but that's, that could have been a possibility. And, um, and spiritually speaking, for some of us, that's, that's the same way, right? Uh, we don't really care about the lost. We don't really care about eternity. And, um, you know, Easter's coming up. Woohoo! yeah, another tradition we celebrate. I've celebrated thousands, or not thousands, but hundreds. Maybe, hopefully not hundreds. <laughs> but I've celebrated <laughs> many of them, okay? I've, said, I've celebrated many of them. And it's just this, another Easter, like Christmas, you know, church will be full. But I hope that, um, you know, that, that's, I hope that's not your attitude as, when, as we, it relates to Easter. I hope that you feel like, man, I'm going to go after people. Um, another possibility is you do care, and I've, I think the vast majority of us would probably be uh, on this, under, like this um, possibility. You do care, but um, you are limited. Just like I give you time frame, you know, you're limited by time, you're limited by talent. Some of you are like, man, I'm not really good at, you know, looking for things. You know, you're, you're the type of person that you lose your keys and you're like, honey, have you seen my key or have you seen my wallet? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like I'm one of those, like I'm not good at looking for things. And um, the same thing can be spiritually, right? Like you do care for people. Easter is coming. You recognize you could make a difference, but you're limited. You're maybe limited by time. Maybe you're limited by talent. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know how to tell somebody about the Lord. I don't know how to invite them. Um, I just don't, just don't know, right? And that's a, that's a real possibility. And then the third choice or the third opportunity or reaction that I thought in my mind is, as soon as I said, I've hidden three or four eggs with money, as soon as you heard those words, you're like, you're looking, right? You're excited. You're ready to go. You're anticipating. I mean, you're going for all four eggs if it's up to you. Like, you cannot wait until he says go. And hopefully, that is your, the heartbeat of, of that's for sure the heartbeat of life point but hopefully that's your heartbeat as well that you say Lord you know 87% of the people that you invite to church for Easter will actually come 87 it's, it's, part, it's built into our culture and so uh, I hope that you take this opportunity and say you know what I'm going to those invite cards I'm going to take them I'm going to pass them out and I'm going to invite some people to church, you just never know how God's going to use um, the message. You just don't know how God's going to use the worship. You don't know how God's going to use the people that serve at this church. Um, earlier this morning, somebody said, "Pastor, when we finished the 21 days of prayer at the very beginning, we we began the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting." And I, and this this lady said, "I want you to know that on the last day of our fast." My friend who had cancer, basically they said that she was in remission, no more cancer, and I just wanted to let you know that. And so you just never know who, yeah, let's give it up for, for that, that, that person. You just never know what God will do in your life or in your friend's life. And so really, um, I, I hope that, you know, it's so simple nowadays. You can get online and in literally like 10 seconds, you can post something, you can share uh, one of the, our, our posts on social media, and you can 
um, encourage people to, to attend. Um, so we're in Philippians chapter 4. Do you have your Bibles? Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I want to welcome you to week 2 of a three-part series that we're doing called Anxious. Everybody say Anxious. Anxious. My name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. Last week, we learned that God is utterly opposed to you being anxious. And we said one of the reasons that has to do with your health, right? It's not good for you. Anxiety doesn't do anything for you. It's not good for your heart. It's not good for your, your mind, your mental health. And so God says it in his word, and we looked at it. I mean, you can go back and listen to the message, but verse after verse, how God said it's not good for you. I'm totally opposed to it. And, um, and I also gave you a working definition for the word anxiety. And I said, you know, this is not necessarily uh, a, a medical definition, but it is kind of what I'm referring to when I use the word. And so I just want us all to be on the same page, whether you agree or not. But just so that you know, when I mention the word anxiety, this is kind of, this is where I'm th- what, I'm, what I'm thinking of. Okay, let's put it on the screen. We said anxiety is the result of envisioning your future, envisioning your future without God. Anxiety is a result of, can you picture it? Envision your future without your maker, your savior. I don't know what you call him, your provider, your protector. So anytime I use the word anxiety, that's where I'm, that's where I'm coming from, okay? The actual word comes from a Latin root of another word that, it, that is to choke, okay? So when you look at the word anxiety and you go down and you look at where it comes from, it basically comes from a Latin root word that means to choke or to squeeze. And so that's what anxiety does. It interrupts your sleep. It chokes your energy. It, um, it, it harms your overall, um, your well-being. And God says, God's word in Proverbs 14, 30, in the New Living Translation, he says, a peaceful, listen to this, a peaceful heart, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Peaceful heart equals healthy body. I think the opposite is also true. An anxious heart makes a person sick. And I can tell you, doctor after doctor who's told me there would be hundreds and thousands of people who would leave the hospital today if they knew how to deal with their anxiety, if they knew how to deal with depression and uh, you know, a number of bitterness and a number of other, other things, Okay. So we are in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Let's look at it. It says this. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, and I love how God, man, like when you don't get something, like God is so graceful to us, so gracious. Like, he's like, hey, just in case you don't get it, let me just say it again, just for emphasis. It says, again, again, it says, I will say, say the word, church, Rejoice. Now, that word is the word in the Hebrew, or in the Greek, I should say, is the word Cairo. Cairo. Okay, the word rejoice is the word Cairo. It's where we get our word for grace. Actually, the, the literal definition is to experience or to delight in God's grace. And so, 
to me, it seems a little bit like an oxymoron because if you read verse 6, it tells us, it, you know, we're talking about anxiety and you're, okay, how do you compute the two? How am I, how am I going to rejoice and delight in God's grace and, and all of this, experience God's grace, but at the same time be anxious? I can't, like, how do, I don't know how to do the, both of them. And so he's going to tell us in a minute how you can actually um, rejoice in the Lord and not be anxious okay so verse 6 look at verse 6 I'm jumping one verse over to verse 6 he says be anxious for how much nothing Nothing. which when I read that from the New King James Version to me it's like that's not that just seems a little bit extreme Lord like if he would have said hey be anxious um, or you know like only on Mondays like, okay, all right, I can I maybe be able to, and that's still hard, right? If you, or be anxious, you know, only in seasons of, in seasons of um, severe adversity or affliction. Okay, that, that kind of makes sense, Lord. But he's, he like goes, be anxious for nothing, zero, zilch. And I, I started kind of digging in, and I said, like, is this what you really mean, Lord? And then, you know, I guess, I guess this is kind of the nerdy side of me, but if you look at the language... This is written in the present active tense, which implies an ongoing state. It's the life of perpetual anxiety that Paul is addressing here. In other words, what he's saying is you should not let anything in your life perpetually and continually make you feel anxious. So every, we're all going to be, we're going to have moments of anxiety. But what Paul is saying is you should not live your life in, in a way that there is this one thing that's always, you know, where you're always redlining. You're always constantly having this anxiety. Someone put it like this. Someone said it like this, and I, I like it. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. Make sense? Now, I want you to be aware of this. Anxiety is not a sin, okay? I want to make sure you understand that. Anxiety is not a sin. It's an emotion. The challenge is that anxiety can actually lead to sinful behavior. Sometimes we try to numb our fears with alcohol. Sometimes we do it with pills. Sometimes we do it by, you know, TV, you know. we uh, Stress eating. I'm a stress eater. Like, if I'm stressed out, I overeat. And so that's when it becomes an issue in your life because you end up doing things. You end up going down a path that instead of helping you, it's actually putting you into a, a bigger, bigger hole. And so, but now I just want to make sure that I kind of sort of a disclaimer. I'm not your doctor, okay? I, I'm, I'm not your professional counselor. So I'm looking, I'm your pastor. So I'm looking at this from a spiritual perspective, okay? And so if you're a doctor, and I know some really good doctors in our community, I know some great counselors. If you need help, man, go to them. If they prescribe you some medicine, thumbs up. Like, I am for that, okay? I don't want you to feel like I'm against that. For me, personally, what I'm doing today is I'm giving you some biblical tools okay I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this subject from a, a spiritual perspective and, um, and so we're in uh, Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 okay Paul is going to give us a roadmap of how to deal with this anxiety so he says be anxious for nothing verse 6 in other words don't be in a constant perpetual state of anxiety but 
in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God verse 7 watch this and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus verse 8 finally brethren whatever things are true whatever things are noble whatever things are just whatever things are pure whatever things are lovely whatever things are of a good report if there's any virtue if there's anything praiseworthy and here's the reason why I chose the New King James for, for this, this translation for, for our reading today if there's any virtue if there's anything praiseworthy here it is meditate on these things and so what I want to do with the last 18 minutes of our service is I want to give you a recipe to ease the pain when you are anxious a recipe to ease the pain when you're anxious okay three specific instructions in this recipe the first thing that God says is talk to me right off the bat he just says hey just just talk you're anxious talk to me in everything by prayer in everything in everything by prayer let your request be made known to God when Abraham Lincoln was asked to lead our country to be when he became president okay and he was asked to to lead he was tasked with honestly an impossible task he was tasked with uh, leading a fractured nation okay and Everybody thought of him as a wise leader. They consider him a man of high moral value. But I think that the thing that the best thing that he had going for himself was his feelings of insecurity, his feelings of inadequacy. Once he said this, he said, I have been driven many times upon my knees, watch this, by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom seemed insufficient. In other words, he says, there are times as I try to lead this nation where I just did not know what to do, and the only choice that I had was just to hit the floor with my knees. Get on my knees, is what he says. And I think he said that because he knows this. He knows that we are humanly insufficient. Inadequate, I should say. But God is eternally sufficient. Think, I want you to think of that, that sentence for a moment. We as human, you're not a machine, right? As a human being, you are humanly inadequate, but God is eternally sufficient. The Bible says in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 32, verse 7 says, Jeremiah says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand, by your powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And so you and I, on the other hand, like we're humanly inadequate. You're not, you can, man, if you have a spirit of, uh, of a perfectionist, which I do, like you can try as hard as you can, but at some point you're going to make a mistake. Things are going to happen. And so your God, though, on the other hand, is eternally sufficient. Let me kind of illustrate it like this. I, I got a picture that I want you to see. Your life it's sort of like, like this cup. I think this is a great illustration. I think hopefully it'll, it'll be memorable. It'll stick for a while. So if you're like me or like anybody else in this room, you can only hold so much, right? You're humanly inadequate. 
And so for many of us, you're dealing with anxiety, but it's not just anxiety. If it was just anxiety, maybe you could, you could function okay, and that's fine. But you're also dealing sometimes with the hurt of the past. Maybe the pain that somebody did something um, uh, or said something that you didn't like. Maybe you're dealing with the shame that a coworker put on you or maybe something that you're not proud of. You may be dealing with anger or fear or stress or guilt or bitterness. And you can only hold, like if the cup represents your life, you can only hold so much before it escapes somewhere, before it just, you release it somehow. And sometimes when you have too much in your life, sometimes it manifests by maybe having a quick temper. So it's not that you don't love your kids, it's that you've had a buttload of things in your life, finances, medical bills, you know, changes, moving, you know, maybe you went through a divorce, I don't know, finances, right? And you just have so much that your cup is just running over and you just, it's just overflowing. And it comes out, and it's not an excuse, it's just reality. It comes out in the form of, well, man, I just yelled at my kids, and I really don't mean to. I love them. It comes out like sometimes you maybe have trouble sleeping or escapism, right? Escapism is when you have so much on your plate that you cannot handle another problem, and you just hit the ground running. I mean, it's like I just, I cannot, I cannot go down that path again. And you just go, and you run in the opposite direction. You're humanly inadequate. He's eternally sufficient. That's why he says, pray. He says, if you pray, you talk to me, I will exchange your anxiety for something else. Verse 6, right? What's the, what's the other thing that he says he'll exchange it for? Verse 7. I, if you pray, I will exchange your prayer with he calls it peace. You pray, I give you peace. I give you my kind of peace. It is actually, he says, it surpasses all understanding. It is supernatural. Sometimes the world doesn't quite get it. It's not tangible. It's not like one plus one equals two. Okay, that makes sense. No, you, what he's saying here is you're anxious. Exchange your prayer. I'll exchange your prayer. I'll give you peace. I'll give you supernatural peace. It's my kind of peace. Not necessarily logical, but it is supernatural. Here's a second instruction he gives us. He says, hold on to gratitude. Hold on. As you're praying, hold on to gratitude. I love the way the New Living Translation puts verse 6. It says it like this. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He's done. It's super simple. New Living Translation, same verse. He says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell him your needs, and then thank him for what he's done for you. It doesn't get any easier than that. There is calmness to a life lived in gratitude. Do you know that? So here's my challenge. Here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you to do two things. Number one, create some margin. Slow down. Hit the brakes. It's hard to be grateful if you're going 100 miles an hour. It's impossible, okay? So hit the brakes. Hit the, you know, stop what you're doing, and then just take time to breathe in. Take time, and Go for a hike. I don't know. You know, just listen to music. Just pause enough, like slow down yourself enough so that you can reflect a little bit, and you can say, you know, Lord, 
I'm thankful for, for this. I'm thankful for that. Challenge number one, create some margin. Challenge number two, watch your negative thinking. Watch your negative behavior, your negative thought patterns, um, your negative um, attitude. It's poison. It spreads to other areas of your life. I deal with it, just like anybody else. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you, like, if you knew what, would go, what goes on in my mind, you'd be like, oh, man, that's ugly. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that the, en the enemy, and it just spins, you know, and it's just like, it's just on repeat. I want to challenge you to watch your, the way that you think. Sense of entitlement, throw it out the window. Um, uh, preconceived ideas of how the people are supposed to behave, or how things are supposed to turn out, turn out, throw it out the window. Bitterness, I want to challenge you, man. Keep it at bay as much as possible. I, I, somebody hurt you. It's been years, though, okay? And so do your very best to keep it in check. Matthew Henry, I love what he tried to do. Great, super famous Bible scholar. He, he did the Matthew Henry commentary. Um, so back in the day, man, that's, those are the commentaries I would read, you know? A little bit hard to understand, but they, he was working on this, and he tells a story that um, he wanted to become more thankful, more grateful, and so what he started doing is started writing down on his journal uh, three or four things that he was thankful for, and he was not good at it, and it took a lot of discipline for him to to get renew his mind and to get to a place where he was a little bit more grateful for what God had given him. And so uh, one day, he actually, they, um, some thieves steal money from him. They rob him. And he tells a story that he's writing down that day on his journal, three or four things that he was thankful for. And he had a really hard time, but he sat down, and he would not get up until he could just, you know, I mean, nobody, right, nobody likes to get, you know, robbed. And so he wrote down, Three, four things. He said, first, I, I'm, I'm learning to be thankful because, I don't know, I've never been robbed before. Okay, okay, that's, that's a win. You're going to be thankful for that. Little thing, it's not that big of a deal, but it counts, right? He wrote, number two, I'm thankful for the fact that they took my money, but they didn't take my life. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm glad I, they didn't take my life. I mean, that thumbs up, you know. So he writes that down. The third, he's, he wrote down, I'm thankful that even though they took all of my money, it really wasn't much. Okay, that, that, that's good. And number four, he said, I'm thankful that I was the one that was robbed, but I'm not the one that's actually robbing other people. And so it's all in your mind. You know, it's all your attitude of how you deal with things. And the reason why I tell you today, as you're praying, as you're praying, Hold on to gratitude. I remember I used to, well, I used to, but I can still do it. But I love to ski, okay? And not like snow skiing, but like behind a boat. And when you're learning to ski, pulling, you know, when they pull you out of the water, man, you've got to hold on to that thing with, with all of your might, okay? That's what I'm talking about. Okay, when you pray, as you're praying to him, hold on to Gratitude. Don't let go of gratitude. Here's why I say that. Your God looks at you, and this is what he says. He says, don't seek me primarily for what I can give you. It's easy to do. I know I do it all the time. God looks at you today, and he says, when you, when you seek me, 
Don't seek me primarily for what I can give you. Remember, I am the giver of life. I am infinitely greater than anything that I can give you. And I, I love, I mean, I love, I delight in blessing my children, he says. But I am deeply grieved when my blessing becomes your idol. Another way of saying it is like this. When the gift becomes more important than the giver, then the blessing is no good. Does that make sense? So if you're, as you're asking him for all of your needs, God, man, you know the bills are coming. You know the health situation. You know my kids. Lord, you know that, you know that I have this need. You know this is going on. As you're throwing up the prayers over there, okay, hold on to gratitude. The gift should not be more important than the giver. Talk to God. Hold on to gratitude in everything by prayer. Watch, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And number three, he says, meditate on some good things. As I was doing the research for the message, I learned three facts about anxiety that I didn't know. I learned that anxiety disorders are actually the most common mental illness in the United States. You know that? I had no idea. Most common mental illness. Over 40 million Americans actually deal with anxiety. Or probably more, but 40 million have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. I learned that um, it's highly treatable, but only about a third of the people that are diagnosed are actually treated. So about 36.8% of those cases, they find out somebody's dealing with anxiety, like about a third, which that blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. And then I learned that nearly half of those people who deal with anxiety also deal with other mental issues, disorders, such as depression, self-harm, suicide. And so anxiety and a lot of these other issues, they go in hand, hand in hand. Next week, next week, we're going to talk about suicide. Um, not an easy subject, okay? But I'm, I'm telling you, like, do whatever it takes to make sure that you're here the thing with suicide is it's one of these topics that um, the church has actually probably done more harm than good. And the things that have been said uh, have not been good. And so I hope that you uh, come back. I'm telling you, you do not want to miss next week. It's going to be powerful. And we're going we're gonna to deal with it. Just like we've dealt with anxiety, we're going to go down that path. And, you know, you guys pray for me because it's, it's one of those things that's not an easy conversation to have. But I really, I really feel like, you know, churches are notorious for answering questions that nobody is asking. I don't want us to be that kind of church. I want us to be the kind of church that, man, we, we will confront, we don't have all the answers, you know, but we can study, we can do research, and we can have conversations, and so we're, next week, that's what we're doing. We're going we're gonna to tackle that subject. Make sure you, you don't miss it. You know, as I was, um, uh, last week, as I wrapped up the, the second service, I looked at my phone, and I realized that I had, uh, after the service, the second service, I counted the number of texts that I got about this series, Anxious. I got the, the most texts that I have ever gotten about any series that I've ever taught in 20 years of ministry. 
about this. People who don't even come to our church, hey, where can I find the link to watch? Uh, I had people who said, man, I just left the doctor's office. Um, I'm getting uh, some medicine for my anxiety. Uh, uh, teenagers who said, man, I deal, uh, I struggle with this whole idea of anxiety. In fact, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit suicidal, and pastor, I need, I need some help. Young adults who, who reached out, I cannot tell you the, num- the most text that I've ever gotten. And to me, what it said is like, man, this is something that God definitely is using in our church to help people, not just here in person, but also those of you who tune in uh, from all, all over the world. Um, what it made me realize is that the enemy is using you as target practice. And the, he's bringing the war into you, and the war is happening in your mind. It's the, the battlefield is the, the mind. And, and the picture, the mental picture that, that came to me was Ukraine. You've seen some of the, the cities that have been so devastated after the bombings and all of that. And you see those pictures. That, in my mind, is the picture of what the enemy, the enemy's bringing the war against that. And you'll see that a little bit more next, next week uh, from the passage that we're going to read. Um, but he wants to win over your mind. He knows if he captures your mind, game over. And so the enemy is looking for an addiction to plant in the heart of a teenager. That's the truth. The enemy is looking for a family that he can divide. If there is any little room, he's going to get in there. I'm going to break up their marriage. I'm going to break up this family. I'm going to do it through the kids. I'm going to do it through the husband. I'm going to do it through the wife. The enemy is looking for a friendship that he can bring chaos to and that he can just break up that friendship. He's looking for ways to tempt you so that you compromise on your convictions. The enemy is looking for a way to destroy the church. You think he's happy about what's going on at LifePoint? Of course not. Man, he wants to, he wants to do everything he can do to destroy this place. The enemy wants to inject fear, doubt, Worry in the life of a Christian. But here's the command. We'll wrap up with the last verse, verse 8. I'm going to ask the worship team, if you guys get in place, please. Verse 8. He says, finally, brethren, watch this, watch this. Whatever things are true, noble, and he gives us the list, right? Pure, lovely, of good report, praiseworthy, all of those. And he says, meditate. And he uses that word in the New King James. Meditate. Some of your translations say, think about. Meditate on these things. The word is the word logizomai. Can you guys say that with me? Logizomai. I'm teaching you a lot of Greek today. Sorry. Kind of nerdy, but it's all good. It's an amazing word. I love this word. Say it. Logizomai. There you go. You can go home and tell your whoever, your friends that you learned Greek this morning. Logizomai. It's a fantastic word. Um, once I wrote a 26-page paper when I was in seminary, getting my, my minor in Greek with this word. And now you know how nerdy I am. 26 pages, one word, you know. Um, it means it's, it's, it's loaded with a lot of, of meaning. It was Paul's, probably one of Paul's favorite words. He uses it at least 27 times in the New Testament. The word only appears four other times, okay, aside from the times that Paul used it. And uh, it's really cool. Kind of the, the cliff no- notes of it is it means to, to uh, it's an accounting term. It means to count or to, to take into account. And so 
When Paul says meditate, what he's saying is like count. Make sure you list the things, the, the, the good things that are going on in your life. And the question that I asked myself was, how often do I meditate? I know I do a lot of praying. I know I can preach. I can give counsel and advice and my mouth can move really fast. But what God was telling me was like, how often do you meditate? And I thought, oh, I don't think I meditate that often. I don't think I meditate at all, you know? Like, oh, man. Think about it. I, I owe my list of, of prayer requests is way longer than my list of praises. I don't think about, like, intentionally, like, I'll take time to pray. I don't take time to write down all of the good things that God's done for me. And so the question for you is the same. How often do you, do you meditate? The Mayo Clinic says this, an expert excerpt from the extensive research done on meditation. 78 doctors contributed to this. I'm just giving you just a portion. Here's what they say. Meditation is a simple, fast way to reduce stress. It can wipe away the day's stress, bring with it inner peace. Spending even a few minutes in meditation can restore your calm and inner peace. Anyone can practice meditation. It's simple and inexpensive. It doesn't require any special equipment. During meditation, you focus your attention and eliminate the stream of jumbled thoughts that may be crowding your mind and causing stress. This process may result in enhanced physical and emotional well-being. Research suggests that meditation may help people manage symptoms of conditions such as anxiety at the top of the list, asthma, cancer, chronic pain, depression, heart disease, high blood pressure, irritable bowel syndrome, sleep problems, tension headaches, and the list goes on and on and on. Now, listen, I, I love science. Don't get me wrong. I love the advances that we've had in, in medicine over the last 50, 70 years. I mean, if you look at the history of medicine alone, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. But I don't need a team of 78 doctors doing some research to tell me that, that meditation is going to help my anxiety. Because I have the authority of God's Word telling me in hundreds of years before the research came out, God's Word says, spend some time meditating. And I can tell you that two weeks ago when I texted my wife, honey, please pray for me. I have the most anxiety I've ever had in my life. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why. I can tell you that the next morning, I got up at 3 in the morning, and I got on my knees and I started to talk to God just the way I, like I talked to a friend. Lord, you know my needs. You know what's going on. What in the world? Lord, and I'm, it's, not a, it's not a very spiritual prayer, okay? But it was a real prayer. And I took a few minutes to say, thank you, Lord, for what you have given me, for the roof over my head. Thank you that I, you know, I talked to you about the, the water leak. You know, if you were here last week, you, you, you understand, but... And um, so thank you, Lord. I have a roof over my house. I have a house, you know. <laughs> and, um, 
And I took some time to meditate. Just hit the pause button. And I'll tell you, within the next 12 hours, my anxiety lifted. The problems are still there. The bills are still coming. The, 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 the water leak, we still haven't found it after three plumbers. But I can tell you that something supernatural, like it's not rational thinking. I cannot tell you, hey, this happened, therefore I'm happy now. No, no, no. Actually, we found out that Leah's car, my wife's car, actually was not, the AC wasn't working. You know, I come in and they, they say, hey, it's going to be probably like $40. And it's like, yeah, it's going to take you like 30, 30 minutes to get it done. It's quick thing, quick fix. I go next door to, to have a lunch, come back. It's like, oh, I have bad news. It's going to be like $550. And then like that, there were like two or three other things that we had to deal with. What I'm telling you is that your world may not change. Your circumstances may be still tough. But when you exchange prayer, God gives you peace. When you take time to say, Lord, I'm going to count the blessings. I'm going to be intentional about it. Because I know the enemy's trying to defeat me. He's going after my mind. But God, I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit the brakes. Do it work in me. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, what's God's recipe to ease the pain of anxiety? The secret is in his word. He says, talk to me. Talk to me. He says, hold on to gratitude. The giver, the giver is more important than the gift. And then he says, meditate on some good things. Even when it doesn't make sense. Father God, help us to apply what we just heard. Thank you for your practical, down-to-earth instruction. Lord, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.